Um, so just want to say that today's our last day, Monday, May 22nd, and we're about to start our first session. Thank you for that, Rebecca. We missed you last week because I thought last week was the last session. So I did my uh, final class last week, but uh, now you get something bonus, free extra bonus, no extra charge. I'm Uh, sorry. First, I want to just share my email. If anyone wants to be in touch, I've done a lot of one-on-ones with a lot of you, and it's been amazing getting to know you. For those who haven't, please, please hit me up. It would be amazing just to do a session, just to hear a little bit where you're coming from. I also want to let you guys know, um, I've told a few of you, Tomar, I think, signed up um, for one of these opportunities. We have a couple, for those of you who aren't going on rage trips, there are a few amazing opportunities in the United States this summer. Um, if you like hiking, there's an amazing partner organization that we work with that has programs in Montana and in upstate New York in the Adirondacks. Highly recommended. They're short programs, a week long. We could try to subsidize some of the airfare and uh, it's really, really worthwhile. So please let, let us know, Rebecca or myself or anyone else, if you're interested in doing something interesting this summer. There are even still some internship programs available this summer. So just let us know if you don't have plans and we'll try to hook you up with something amazing. All right. Um, okay. So moving along. So um, we have a holiday coming up this week. A lesser no. By the way, Gabby, because of you, I was um, I was toying whether or not to do a hot class on Shabbos on the the mystical side of Shabbat or on the upcoming holiday. I decided to do the upcoming holiday, but I would love to talk to you guys about Shabbat. So come next semester to Ridge uh, Level Two, and we'll talk about the mystical meditative side of Shabbat and many other topics. All right, that's a good plug. And also, we're going to talk about love and how to find the right one. So that's that's a good one to come to. Please, please sign up for that. I, I only scratch the surface of stuff I want to share with you. So anyone know the holiday coming up this week? Shavuot. Shavuot. A little known, super mega important holiday. It's like, it's probably the least observed Jewish holiday in America. But it is one of the most important. Does anyone know, besides Toma, is anyone familiar with the holiday of Shavuot and what we are celebrating? Anyone never heard of the holiday of Shavuot? Don't be embarrassed. I never heard of it my whole life until I went to Israel. What is Shavuot celebrating? It's, it's celebrating a mega event that took place 50 days after the Jews left Egypt. So from Passover, we begin counting every single day. 49 days until we get to the 50th day, and we commemorate a mega event that took place 50 days after the exodus from Egypt. Anyone? Earn more trips. (laughs) Wait, Eliana, what did you say? The first day, sorry, my chat box is cut off. Bingo! Eliana, where's your face? I will have it on in like five minutes. I'm All right. So can't wait to see it. And by the way, I can't wait to see it in person. Please be yes. in touch. I want to invite you for uh, Shavuos if you're around. We're doing brunch. Okay. Oh. Yeah, for sure. I have to look at like finals, but yes. Okay. We'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. Um, so Shavuos is celebrating the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, which took place 3,335 years ago. 
I might be off by a year, but something close to that. A few years ago, it was 3,333 years ago, and I stopped counting after that. But um, so how do we celebrate this holiday? Is anyone familiar with any of the customs of Shavuos? I know there's like cheesecake involved. Cheesecake. Cheesecake is the only thing anyone knows about Shavuos. There's a very interesting custom. On every holiday, there's a mitzvah to eat meat. There's actually a mitzvah to eat meat on the holidays, meaning the big holidays. Passover, Sukkot, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, we eat meat. On Shabbos, you don't have to eat meat. But on the holidays, there's a special thing to enjoy meat and wine. But on Shavuos, there's an extra thing. We have cheesecake. There's a custom to have a dairy meal on Shavuos. What is that about? Okay, I want to try to explain it to you. I'm going to give one explanation as we continue on the night. Any other customs anyone's familiar with about Shavuos? Aren't you supposed to stay up all night? Oh, so learning? there's a custom to stay up all night learning Torah. And if you go to synagogue anywhere in the world, you can participate in all-night classes or, or just one-on-one learning. And it's a really amazing time, especially if you're in the city. I'm sure Rage, Rage is doing something in New York or wherever you're from. I mean, that depends where you're from. Maybe there aren't Jews where you're from. But I don't know about in Utah. I don't know if there'll be any all-night learning in Utah. But if you find a Chabad, wait, Arizona. Katrina, Arizona or Utah? I got confused. Whatever. Arizona. Arizona. All right. Yeah. Uh, so go to Phoenix. They'll be all night learning in Phoenix. Okay. And then there's a third custom. Anyone familiar with one last thing that we do on Shavuos in the synagogues? There's a special custom of decorating the synagogues a certain way. I don't know about the synagogues, but I know uh, you're supposed to wear white, right? Um, not particularly different than any other holiday. Okay. So there's a custom of decorating the synagogues with flowers and grasses and plants all around, like where we read from the Torah. It's literally beautiful. My synagogue, they make an entire chuppah, like a wedding canopy all around where we read from the Torah, the bima, and they cover it with flowers. It's like braided flowers. It's unbelievable. And that's another custom. And And that custom, I'll explain as well, hopefully, as we go on. Okay. So one last thing about Shavuos is there's an opinion in the Talmud that every holiday, Jewish holiday, if you want, you could fast and pray the whole day, or you could engage in eating and celebrating the way we normally do. But there's a, an option to fast. If you really, if you, for you, if you enjoy connecting to God through fasting and praying all day, you're allowed to do that. But on Shavuos, everyone agrees you got to eat. Now, again, a little counterintuitive, right? The day where we're celebrating the giving of the Torah, what's this? Why on that day do you have to have a meal? Okay, let's hopefully we'll come back to that point as well as we go on. So I want to take a detour, and we're going to come back to Shavuos. But I want to take a detour to talk about one of my favorite topics, okay? Um, any, any Marvel fans in the room? No Marvel fans in the room? Wait, serious? Lauren, thank you. Thank you for not leaving me hanging there. Don's a Marvel fan, too. Why didn't you raise your hand, Gordon? Yeah, Gordon, what's going on? <laughs> I knew you were. Come on, Gordon. <laughs> Who's your favorite superhero? The Flash. Um, actually, it's more on the DC side, really. Uh, probably 
well, he's not a superhero, but Batman's my favorite. If I had to pick someone from Marvel, probably uh, Captain America. Oh, wow. Wow. Captain America and Batman are like opposites. But uh, so, okay, great. Batman counts as a superhero. So every culture, and I can just tell you from myself, from my own perspective, as a little kid, I was, I basically, when my father asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? When I was like four years old, three years old, I said, either knight in shining armor or Superman. That was my dream when I was a kid. I wanted to be Superman. And I think that many of us relate. And that's why these movies are so popular. There's, there's a psychological archetype of the superhero that enthralls people throughout history, whether it's the superhero, Marvel. And by the way, uh, a lot of the superheroes were invented by a Jew. I don't know if you know that. Great article uh, about Stan Lee, who invented basically Superman. Superman's name is kind of Jewish. His name is actually uh, Kal-El, which is essentially the way we say God, you know, one of the words in Hebrew for God. Um, It's a very Jewish story. Somebody who essentially is is living the secret life, is hated, and then has this incredible power. And I really related. My whole life, I was really looking for that super identity. And I want to talk a little bit about what that is. What does it take to become a superhero? How can we become superheroes in our own life? All right? If I could show you how to unleash your superpower, how, how gold would that be? Right? If we could all become superheroes. So every culture has their their warriors or their heroes that they emulate and they look up to. And we also have in the Torah, we have our superheroes, the people that we look up to, our our forefathers, our foremothers, our prophets. We have uh, recent Siddiquim, righteous people who have, and in fact, in the Hasidic tradition and also in the Sephardi world, there are stories of, uh, really in all Jewish uh, lineages, there are stories of our righteous people performing miracles, like incredible stuff, like real stories in recent times that have been documented by firsthand experiences, like crazy, crazy stories. And this captivates a little bit about the imagination. Where do our righteous people get these abilities? And I'm telling you like crazy, crazy stories that literally in our own times, I'll just tell you one that just comes to mind right now. Somebody that I know um, who I met, who was unable to have children for many years, and they went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Everyone familiar with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the, the head of Chabad, the, the rabbi of Chabad who passed away, uh, to most opinions, no, uh, about 20 years ago, 30 years ago. The Lubavitcher Rebbe was a, was a phenomenal, super Torah genius, uh, uh, incredible leader, a righteous person. And there are so many stories of cr- incredible miracles that people had with him. So this person that I met went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he asked for a blessing to have children. The Lubavitcher Rebbe used to give out dollar bills to people as a blessing and he gave this guy a dollar bill and then the guy started walking away and the Rebbe called him back and he gave him another dollar bill and the guy started walking away and the Rebbe called him back again he gave him a third dollar bill and that year they had triplets all right crazy story okay again there's there's just countless stories and we could go on and on telling stories uh, literally in our own times um I've had a few amazing stories myself Nothing like that. Nothing like, you know, clearly, clearly miraculous, but there are countless stories. Um, and I could try, I should really have compile a few to, to share with you at a different time. But 
where where do the where do these righteous people get their superpowers and how could we how could we literally tap into our ability to literally perform miracles so the there little there is a formula and and one of those formulas is through the torah through the power of the torah and we're going to talk about that gives us the ability to literally change nature to split seas to move mountains but there's another power that we can all access in our own life that gives will enable us to have literally superpowers. So I want to start by just saying, just just analyzing what does it take to become a superhero. So essentially, I think there are three components to every superhero story. Okay, what what's one thing that every superhero has in common? Is this for you guys, whether you're a superhero fan or not? Some incredible ability that no one else has. An incredible talent or a power, okay? So all superheroes have, know their power. And I believe that this is the number one first ingredient that we all have to learn in order to access our superpowers is to recognize that according to the Torah, every single human being is born with a talent and a skill and an ability that no one before you and no one after you has ever possessed. You have something that you can do that nobody else in the world can do. Now, you might not be the greatest artist in the world or the greatest basketball player in the world, but you have a talent, a combination of your unique talents, passions, life experiences that give you the ability to do something that no one before you and no one after you will ever be able to do. If we can tap into our unique talent, our unique passion, our unique gift, we can literally change the world in the way that we are meant to. We all have something, whether it's the ability to make people smile, uh, ability of sensitivity, of caring, of empathy, of uh, an analysis, of creative talent of some sort. We all have something. If you don't know what yours is, sit down with me sometime or with somebody else, a mentor, and begin the process of trying to get in touch with your unique talent, your unique traits. Okay, so that's number one. And according to the Torah, we have these talents. We all, our souls come into the world to do something unique. And that is implies two things. One is our unique ability to change the world and to make the world a better place. Additionally, we all have something that we have to repair within ourselves. We all have something that we have to fix. We all have some character trait that we were brought into the world to repair. How do you figure out what that is, by the way? Your soul came into the world to fix something. How do you figure out what that thing you have to fix is? Take a guess. You don't have to know Kabbalah to figure this out. I don't know, like uh, reflect on yourself, like do some level of introspection, realize like what you can work on. And how, what's the, how do you know what that thing is? The number one thing that you have to work on is. I guess it's like a gut feeling, like whatever comes up first, whatever is like the most, um, whatever you feel like the strong is the strongest. It's that thing that's hardest for you. Whatever that area is, whether it's laziness, jealousy, anger, insecurity, depression, we all have something that that's our challenge, right? 
or like you get a you have a new relationship, a new boyfriend, girlfriend, roommate, and suddenly they have that issue. They're like they're that type of personality that's like really annoying, and, and the relationship falls apart, and and you blame them, right? And then you get another boyfriend or girlfriend, they also do that same thing, and you blame them. And then after like enough years, you start to realize, wait a minute, how come everyone in my life keeps having the same issue? And then you start to realize, wait a minute, there's one common denominator. It's me. I'm the one with that issue that's causing this problems to happen again and again in my life. And only when you realize that can you actually stop the cycle and begin to solve and heal the problem, right? So it's not you, it's me. It is typically the right formula for solving relationship problems. By the way, everything we're talking about does not just apply to superheroes, also Harry Potter, any Harry Potter fans, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. You got to have something in common with me, okay? I like all these things. So, all right, I got some, I got some smiles. Okay, so also, by the way, athletes, Famous athletes also share these things. So number one is know your superpower. Figure out what your unique talent is, what your unique way of changing the world, of making the world a better place, the thing you have to fix within yourself. And also, according to Judaism, we also, these gifts are also meant for us to connect to God, that we're meant to bring a certain revelation of God into the world. Like we mentioned previously, I believe that God is like white light shown through a prism we're all the different colors of the rainbow we're just different reflections of god's light and our job is to bring that vibration into the world to bring a little bit of godliness into the world that is the unique resonance of our soul okay number two what's something else that all superheroes have in common besides knowing their talent some of them have like uh a crazy weakness or uh, a point where you can really like damage them like superman has kryptonite okay good so what, what we're gonna call that not just not everyone has that kryptonite thing but everyone does have something else that's perhaps connected to a weakness all right think batman for a second spider-man uh their humanity what their humanity. What do you mean by that? Um, like natural flaws, but like morality, I guess. I'm not sure. Like they have positives and negatives. And okay. because they have that, uh, that makes them more heroic because they can fail. Huh. Okay, excellent. And I think both of you are touching a similar point, and I'm going to tie it together with one more point, right? Is they all have a challenge, right? Every superhero from Harry Potter to Superman has an origin story. And that origin story always revolves some sort of personal struggle or challenge, right? Similar to what you guys are saying, that either they're an orphan, an outcast, a mutant, something that's despised, something that's struggling with something besides, uh, Iron Man. He's just like a rich playboy. But everyone else has a challenge, a real challenge in life. And their greatness comes from overcoming that challenge, from turning the negative into positive, from learning to grow despite their natural disabilities. And ultimately overcoming their their negative nature or their negative 
environment or their negative upbringing or experiences and transforming that to for the good of humanity, for the good of themselves. So I believe this is the most important point to unlocking your superpower. We're going to go into this deeply in a moment. One more thing that all superheroes share. What drives a superhero? Like, why don't they just go on and just like take, get a nine to five job? Like what, what makes a superhero super? Anyone? I mean, what prevents a superhero from becoming a supervillain? Their morality. Morality or a sense of purpose. Excellent. A sense of purpose. Now, I I imagine the supervillains also have a sense of purpose, right? So it's that sense of purpose that's tied into morality, right? It's the feeling that I have to make the world a better place. Now, I'm not going to say that bad guys, super bad guys like Hitler didn't also think they were making the world a a better place. So that mission, that vision of how you're going to make the world a better place has to be tapped into a bigger value system of what's good, right? Because everyone in the world thinks they're good from serial killers to gangsters, right? They believe they are serving. Hitler believed he was doing the world the greatest good, eradicating the, 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 uh, the inferior race, the Jewish people believed he was doing good. There's no one in the world that thinks they're bad, right? Like the way the bad guys in superhero movies laugh, <laughs> that doesn't happen in real life. In real life, the bad guys actually think they're the good guys. This is a very important point when it comes to dealing with people. Everyone essentially thinks they're good. You have to realize that if you want to be able to actually relate to people who you think are bad. (laughs) So the key to being a superhero is having a value-driven life. Clarity on what your values are. You can't create goals in life if you don't have values. How do you decide what to do? What's important? Should you make a lot of money? Or should, I think we talked about this many weeks ago. Should you make a lot of money or should you uh, volunteer for Greenpeace? Or should you meditate on a mountain all day? Or should you be an artist and be poor? How do you figure out what to do with your life? The only way to make decisions of goals is if you know what your values are. And the only way to figure out your values is if you figure out what's valuable. (laughs) Is money valuable? Is happiness valuable? Is family valuable? Is religion valuable? What's valuable? The only way to figure out what's valuable is to figure out what's your purpose. Why are we here? We started out our sessions together 10 weeks ago talking about who are you and why are you here? What's the meaning of life? That one question that if you could get an answer to would change everything. If you know why you're here, So then you can begin to figure out what's valuable. If you're here and when you're done, nothing happens. So then what's valuable? Do whatever you want. But if you're here and there's a goal, there's an afterlife, there's a purpose. So then that should shape every decision that you make. So part of being a superhero is having clarity on your purpose. 
the meaning of life, not just your individual unique talents, but as a human being, why are we here? Who are we? What's, what's the goal? And then you can begin to create values and then your values can shape your goals. So ultimately, these are the three ingredients of a super life. To know yourself, know who you are, what your talents are, your unique traits, figure out why you're here and how you can utilize your traits for the good of humanity, for the good of the world, for connecting to your purpose. And then figuring out what you have to overcome your 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 bat your the dark side that you're in this world to repair what are those things that you have to overcome in your life those hardships if you can do those three things you will live a super powered life so i want to talk about a little bit about these the con the convalence of these three things what's more important to in success talent or hard work what do you think? Hard work. Hard work? Anyone in the talent camp? So I grew up thinking it was talent. My father's a musician. He said it's, it's talent that made him into a successful musician. The answer is, is that studies show that's actually incorrect, as Tomer said. Talent gets you in the door. Right? When you're a kid and you start piano lessons or you start playing basketball, talent gets you noticed. Those early successes help you to keep going, but they do not make you great. What makes you great is the stuff you do on your own, not the stuff you were given. It's the hard work, the practice, the overcoming when everyone else quits. That's what leads to greatness in life. So they say that 10,000 hours of practicing anything will make you one of the top 5% in the world, right? Whatever it is. Now, I could never be a professional basketball player. I'm just not tall enough, right? And I'm Jewish. I wasn't built that way. But once you get over the hurdle of natural biological barriers, you can become great and you can even go beyond your natural limitations if you work hard. So there's a great book about this called Outliers by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Check it out. He basically pops the myth of talent, right? Talent's great when you're young, right? The kids that are naturally good at something are going to get noticed by the, the coaches. They're going to get more positive reinforcement. They're going to want to keep doing it, and then they're going to start practicing but it doesn't really do anything to make you great. They actually, he, he, he brings a great study that, Tomer, you'll relate to this. 90% of Canadian professional hockey players are all born in January or February. Did you ever hear about that? Yeah, because they're the oldest of their age group. They're, oh, like, they're age the group. oldest of their age group. So first, it's like, this is, this is mind-boggling. How could it be? They're all born in January, February. It doesn't make any sense. The answer is that's the cutoff date. So they're all the oldest in their grade which means naturally they're going to be better than the kids who are smaller at a certain age. You get, you like sprout up, you get much stronger and bigger at a certain age. So they got noticed by the coaches. They got more, you know, attention. They, therefore they liked playing because they were good at it. Naturally you like to do what you're good at. And then they went on to become professionals. Okay. Thomas Edison says our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more 
time. There's no substitute for hard work. Says Thomas Edison, I have not failed. I've just found a thousand, ten thousand ways not to make electricity, right? Thomas Edison found 10,000 ways not to make electricity until he finally found the one way that did work to make electricity, right? So many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up, okay? I'm not such a sports guy, okay? But at least in my day, Michael Jordan was like the best, right? Is he still one of the best, Michael Jordan? Okay, Michael Jordan was, did you know that he was kicked off his high school basketball team? And being 5'11", he was told he will never succeed. He's too short. Okay, kept trying, kept working. at. Maybe there's hope for me too. You mean I could also become an NBA? I don't know, 5'7", is like <laughs> cutting, it up, cutting it a little short. Babe Ruth, right? Baseball, one of the baseball greats. Babe Ruth started off playing amazing. And then his game went down for how long? 10 years. He had the record strikeouts for 10 years, over a thousand strikeouts. And he said, famously, every strike brings me closer to the next home run. Said Babe Ruth, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost over 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game's winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. The difference between a success and a failure is if you define yourself from your failure. If you define yourself as a failure because you failed, so then you become a failure. But what's another way of looking at your failures, your failings? Well, it's just one attempt. There's always another attempt and another one. Oh, to teach you a lesson. Oh, if you look at every failure as a lesson, as an opportunity to grow, to repair, to fix something you broke, then you're no longer defined by your failures. You're fine, defined by your ability to repair and to fix and to learn. That's what defines you. The problem is when we think, I failed, therefore I'm a failure. If you fail, what are you? Like someone that just didn't take the lessons, they just stopped. No, if if you fail, if you make a mistake, what are you? Failure. No. <laughs> what are you if you make mistakes? Human. 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 Failure is the greatest lesson. You either learn how to do something better or you learn what's not for you. Sometimes a failure means, you know what? That's not for me. You know what? I probably am not meant to be a professional basketball player. I can deal with that. Maybe that for me is a lesson to tell me, put my energy someplace else. Right? But sometimes it's a lesson in what not to do. Sometimes it's a lesson in that you have to try harder, how not to do it. The Talmud says, a righteous person falls seven times. It's based on, on, on a verse in, in, the, in the Torah. A righteous person falls seven times and gets up again. That's the difference between becoming great. It's just get up again. Keep getting up. Keep pushing. Keep trying. So there's an amazing story in the Talmud 
This is brought down in Jewish tradition. It's not in the Talmud. It's, it's a later story, and some have attributed to non-Jewish sources, but it is part of Jewish tradition that Moses, leading the Jewish people out of Egypt, and there was a king of a, of a nation that heard about this great Jewish leader, and he wanted to know what's he all about. So he hired an artist to go meet Moses in the desert and paint the picture of him. He brought the picture back and showed it to his wise men, his astrologers and his, his, his wise men who had the ability to read people's faces. And they read the face of Moses. You know what they told the king? They said, this man is a rapist and a murderer. The worst man ever. The king said, this is crazy. Off with your head. Cuts off the head of the artist. Hires another artist. Sends him out to draw Moses' picture. Comes back. Same picture. Wise men look at it. Say the same thing. King said, that's it. I got to go take a look myself. He goes and he sees, this is exactly what Moses looks like. So he goes up to Moshe and he says, what's going on? My wise men said that you're like a murderer and a rapist. And, a, and Moses says, you're right. That's the way I was born. I was born with the worst inclinations. But I overcame those. That's what makes me great. It's not the gifts you were gifted that make you great. It's the challenges that you overcome. Right? Who gets more reward from God's perspective? Mother Teresa or I don't know, Al Capone? Who's closer to God? Mother Teresa or Al Capone? Trick question. The answer is we have no idea. Because God doesn't judge you based on your, I mean, okay, if you're a murderer. He does not like that, okay? But ultimately, what we get rewarded for from God's perspective is how much we overcame in our life. Whether you reach it, maybe Mother Teresa was born a saint. She never had a desire to do anything bad, and she never did anything bad. From God's perspective, zero reward. That doesn't count anything in God's perspective. But the person who was born a murderer, and they just became a little bit just a robber, that's huge, Okay? Not saying our actions matter. They matter very much. But God understands our challenges. And what he wants to see is the growth and how we can turn our challenges into successes. So concluding with our idea about Shavuos, the holiday that we're celebrating this coming Thursday night. And by the way, if you don't have an invitation to a Shavuos dinner, please get in touch with us. We can help you find something in your area. It's a great experience, the all-night learning, the cheesecake. So what are we celebrating on Shavuos? Shavuos is celebrating the Hebrew calendar date, the sixth day of the month of Sivan. We're in the month of Sivan right now. The sixth day of Sivan, we are celebrating. And that's when Shavuos takes place. What happened on the sixth day of Sivan? If we open up the Torah and we look back at the dates based on the Talmud's explanation, do you know what took place on the sixth day of Sivan? So we tell you that we're celebrating the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, right? The reality is that did not take place on the sixth day of Sivan, according to the Talmud. That takes place one day later on the seventh day of Sivan. So what took place on the sixth day of Sivan? We're celebrating a day where nothing happened. Literally, nothing happened. So the Talmud tells the story that Moshe went up to receive the Torah. In Mount, uh, in, he went up to the to heaven and the realms to receive the Torah. And the angel said to God, what are you doing giving the Torah to this human being? He's got so many weaknesses. And God says to Moshe, Moshe, defend yourself. Explain to the angels why you deserve the Torah. 
So Moshe says to the angels, well, um, what does it say in the Torah? They say, yeah, don't worship idols. It says to the angels, do you guys worship idols? He said, no, we don't, we don't worship idols. Okay. What else does it say? It says, don't steal. It says to the angels, do you guys steal? Do you guys have possessions? No, we don't have possessions. What else does it say? It says, honor your mother and father. Do you have mothers and fathers? No, we don't. Have don't murder. Do you guys have bodies? Do you murder? Angels say, of course not. So God says, great. Take the Torah. The angels agree. What's the message? Why did this, do human beings deserve the Torah? Because we're angels? No, angels don't deserve the Torah. Because we're humans. Because of our failures and our flaws, that's precisely why the Torah was given to us. Because the Torah is all about lifting up your body, lifting up your animal, controlling your animal, learning to elevate the physical world. So on the sixth day of Sivan, the commentaries explain God gave Moshe the power of the Torah. What is the power of the Torah? Literally, the Talmud explains, the Zohar explains that the, the Torah is the guidebook, the blueprint with which God looked into to create the world. It's literally the instruction manual for how to create worlds, how to be godlike how to change reality, how to create nature, how to transform nature, how to be godlike. And what did Moshe do when God gave him the Torah? In that moment, he literally used the power of the Torah to change history. He pushed off the giving of the Torah one day. The Torah was supposed to be given on the sixth day of Sivan. The entire Jewish people were supposed to stand at Mount Sinai. This was designed from the beginning of time that this was the day. And Moshe literally took that power and pushed it off a day to literally show us what you can do with the power of Torah is you can change history. You can change nature. You can transform reality. The Torah gives us the ability to overcome nature because when you act supernaturally, nature dictates you're born a certain way. You stay that way the rest of your life. I'm born angry. I'm born lazy. What could I do? Just the way I am. Or my parents abused me. I lived with trauma and therefore I'm an abuser. That's nature. But if you can take what you were given and literally transform yourself, at that moment, you are becoming supernatural. And when you become supernatural, the laws of nature will not bind you, will not hold you back. If you live supernaturally, you can literally change nature. You can live a miraculous life. So what we're celebrating on Shavuos is the, our ability to transform reality, our ability to overcome nature. And the fact that the holiday itself we're celebrating is a day that the Torah could have been given, but wasn't because of the, our ability to change history. So that's what the Torah is all about, is to literally transform the world. So why do we put flowers in the synagogue on Shavuos? Because the Talmud tells us that when the Torah was given on Mount Sinai, the mountain was transformed from a desert into an oasis. It was literally covered with grass. It seems like a funny way to commemorate Mount Sinai, right? Maybe we should have lightning bolts in synagogue, like it was thunder and lightning. Why are we celebrating, why are we commemorating Mount Sinai with grass? The answer is because that's the whole purpose of Mount Sinai, is to turn the desert into a paradise, to take the desert of your life, the parts of you which are not, that are uninhabitable, 
the parts of you that are uncivilized and to transform them into a beautiful oasis. All right, number two, we eat milk. And it's based on a verse in the Torah that compares the Torah to milk and honey. What's unique about milk and honey? There are two foods that we eat that are kosher, that come from non-kosher animals. Anyone want to take a guess? Normally, if you drink milk from a non-kosher animal, such as a pig or a horse, it's not kosher, right? Food that comes from a non-kosher animal is not kosher, with two exceptions. Um, eggs? I don't know. Maybe. Eggs are only kosher from a kosher chicken. Oh. Kosher animal. All right. Honey. Honey. Honey, bees are not kosher. In fact, bugs are not kosher, with the exception of certain types of grasshoppers. Not for today, okay? Honey. Honey says in the sources that honey is the sweetest food because, precisely because it comes from a non-kosher source. The things that are not kosher about us, when we transform them, become the sweetest parts of our personality. What's another thing? This is hard. Another food that we all, basically 90% of us, probably 99% of us, if not all of us, have eaten in our life that comes from a non-kosher source. Probably uh, breast milk, right? Bingo. Mother's milk, right? Mothers are not kosher. You cannot eat a human being. And yet the milk, which is the most purest life-giving substance, the best literally superfood for a human being, comes from a non-kosher source. And we eat both of these things, not mother's milk, but milk and honey on Shavuos, hence cheesecake, to commemorate the idea of transforming that which is not good and making it good. That's literally what Shavuos is all about. And the last point of why we said there's a special emphasis on eating on the holiday of Shavuos, even though every other holiday, if you want to, you could fast. On Shavuos, you got to eat. What's the significance there? Is that, as we mentioned, the purpose of the Torah is to literally not meditate on a mountaintop and be spiritual, but to engage in physicality with spirituality, to have your steak and eat it too, to bring the spirituality of oneness of God and bring it into the way you eat, into the way you conduct business, into the way you procreate, into the pleasures of this world, but to do them in a spiritual way. That's what's unique about Judaism. That's what was given to us through the Torah, is a guide to literally uplift physicality and to uplift ourselves and transform ourselves. That's the message of Judaism, the message of Shavuos, is to take the challenges that you have within and without, the challenges of your upbringing, your traumas, and to learn to transform yourself and thereby be able to transform the world. When you act supernaturally, you're given supernatural powers. So I want to end with one, one last story. We'll conclude with this, just to kind of summarize some of these ideas. I mentioned this to uh, maybe one of you, I can't remember, in a one-on-one. A friend of mine who is actually a teacher of Jewish meditation 
uh, Dan Katz, you know Rebecca, right? So um, Daniel Katz, Elevation Seminar. So many years ago, before he was an observant Jew, he was attending a meditation retreat in Australia. And it was a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Anyone ever do anything like this? 10 days without talking? Michael, yeah, did I tell you this story? Yeah, I, oh, I did. Wow, where oh, you told me about it, All right? Right. Yeah, I did it a month ago. <laughs> oh, amazing. How was it? Uh, a lot. <laughs> it was good overall. Wow. So my friend was doing this meditation retreat for 10 days, silent meditation. And you had an opportunity throughout the week to speak to the guru, to speak to the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Zendo, whatever, the head of the, uh, of the Buddhist retreat center. And he goes up to him at the end and he says, you know, this whole week you're teaching us about separating from the physical world and just devoting yourself to meditation, disconnecting from the physical. He said, I just, it doesn't sound right to me. We were given bodies. We were given talents. I feel like we're in this world to use our talents and to use our bodies. And the head of their chief turned to him and he said, are you Jewish by any chance? And my friend was like, uh, no. And the guy's like, oh, I was just curious. And he's like, started walking away. And he's like, okay, yes, yes, I'm Jewish. How did you know? And the guy says, because in every single retreat center that we do, we always have someone who asks that question. And they're always Jewish. Because there's something unique about the Jewish soul and Jewish spirituality. To be spiritual for the rest of the world is to disconnect from physicality. We talked about it a few weeks ago, the pyramid of pleasure. You want long-term pleasure, connect to oneness, connect to God, inner peace, outer peace, transcendence, and self-acceptance. Don't engage in physical pleasure and money and all the things that pull us away from true connection to ourself and connection to God. But that's for the rest of the world. For a Jew to be spiritual is to engage in the physical in a spiritual way. That's what makes us unique. That's our unique mission. Thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit. Please, please reach out to me. I would love to have a one-on-one with all of you before the end of the summer.